You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Great to be together, guys. Happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. You guys excited or not? How many of you are excited about the game? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. Uh, who, who, who are rooting for the 49ers? Let me get hands. Tom, you're from there. I mean, you went to school there. Come on. <laughs> okay, how about KC? How about the Chiefs? Okay. Looks like we have more Chiefs fans. Uh, Lakers, yeah. Are Lakers in the Super Bowl? How about uh, Nachos? Who's rooting for the Nachos? Yes. It's, uh, I think it's in the Bible that on Super Bowl Sunday you can eat whatever you want. It doesn't affect you spiritually. Um, just that one day a year. Um, how about the commercials? Who likes the commercials? All right, yeah. That's my thing. I like the commercials. How about uh, halftime? J-Lo and Shakira. Okay. This is the first time we've had a Latina headliner, apparently. I thought Gloria Stefan was there one time, but maybe not. But she, they didn't count her, I guess, because they said, this is a, on the news, they said this is the first Latina headliner. So, and the first time they're having a, a, a dual thing. So I, I think it's going to be good. The thing I'm worried about, so we had this big, we, we're having a Super Bowl party at our house. If you don't have anywhere to go, you're welcome to come over. I think some of the teens are coming over. You know, Richard's coming over and Brian's coming over. But uh, come on over. We're going to have people at our house. Uh, there's probably another few Super Bowl parties happening around. But years ago, we had this big Super Bowl party. I mean, we had it like inside and out in our garage. We had it both locations. You know, so, so the people out in the garage, I think that was where the serious people were. And then the people inside was like the commercial watchers, you know, eating and just hanging out and people out in the garage. But it was the Beyonce one. And um, it was just this weird, awkward thing because I'm a minister having people in my house. And then like what's on screen, this huge screen is just Beyonce like you know, shaking everything that she has. And uh, I was just kind of like, what do we do? You know, like, do we look away? And all of her dancers, too. I mean, you know, they're doing all that stuff that they do. I'm not going to do it, Sean. But it was, it was like this weird, I remember Norma was there, I think. I think Brock and Norma were over. We're like, what do we do at this moment? But we made it through it, and we survived spiritually, so... I think my favorite artist, uh, Don't Hate Me, was, uh, when, that did it was Tom Petty. I loved, I was like, oh, I love Tom Petty. But I remember Jay was there, and Jay is like, this is music or something like that? <laughs> Who likes this or something like that? I'm like, yeah, that's Tom Petty. That's my style. Three chords, simple songs, you know, not very good voice. That's me. You know what I mean? Me and Tom Petty. But, uh, but I you know, Coldplay was great. Too. Coldplay is like my favorite band. So I like Coldplay. But see, Coldplay was like, they're so humble. They're like, we're not good enough to do it ourselves, so we'll have Bruno Mars and Beyonce help us out. You know what I mean? So, and Bruno Mars is amazing, too. I know uh, Prince was uh, Aaron's favorite, of course. Prince was like, that, that year, and I know I'm going off topic. We're not talking about this today. But <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday, right? But it, it seemed like the whole thing, tell me if I'm right, Aaron, but it seemed like the whole thing was like, I'm going to show everybody that I am the best guitar player in the world. Because when people think about Prince, they don't necessarily think about what an amazing guitar player is. And in that, in that halftime show, he was like, I am the shredder of all shredders. <laughs> so it was fun. 
So I know for me, I'm looking forward today to watching uh, Pat, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's a fun quarterback to watch. And if you saw the last um, 49ers game, that quarterback was like, well, I'm here. But he like did almost nothing, right? He's just handing it off, right? And that, that I can't remember his name, that running back that nobody ever heard of before, he broke all the records. If you saw the game against Green Bay, it was amazing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I feel like I got to root for the 49ers because of, you know, I'm in California, right? So, and they're in California, so... But, I don't know, some people are like, hey, you know, there's kind of a northern, southern California thing going, I hear, right? Is that true, Brock? Do people badmouth us up there? Brock's from there, but, so he has a duel. So, uh, we are starting a new series today, three-week series on grace. Uh, so, on your screen, you'll see these are some of the results of uh, this, this survey or this input I asked for. I think you'll see it. It's the second slide there. Uh, the first slide was Super Bowl. We're past that one. There we go. Uh, so the, the second uh, slide, th- this is, uh, I don't know if you can read this. Go to the next slide there. Uh, but these were the, sort of the top choices. So about, I, I was asking you guys for input uh, on our sermon topics. We're starting a new ministry if you're visiting with us today. Uh, we kind of started about Easter last year, and uh, we normally meet at Botanic Gardens today, and last week it wasn't available, and there's a few, few weeks it's not available in March but that's kind of our normal home and uh, for trying to, to reach people in our area, our South Torrance, PV, Lomita, Harbor City, San Pedro, you know, all of this kind of area down here. And um, so I thought it'd be good to ask you guys, what do you feel like the church needs to hear on? I don't know if I'll always do that, but, uh, but I thought for this year it'd be great. So about 36 of you, I think, 36 or 39, I can't remember the number, responded. And uh, the top three were relationships, grace, and personal walk with God. And you can see like where it says responses. So For example, we're talking about grace first. 20 of you out of the 36 had grace as one of the things that we really need to talk about. So I thought that was significant. You can see the darker it is to the left is is, it was your first choice, second choice, third choice or whatever. Uh, But you can kind of see some of the things. So we we had a pretty recent um, talk about relationships. In fact, we had two series on relationships last year, but clearly we need more. And you know what I thought about is most of what Paul talks about in his letters is relationships. Because we live here and we're with each other and we annoy each other and we got to figure it out, right? So, um, so relationships, we'll hit that a lot too, but we're going to talk about grace the next three weeks. The title of the lesson today is Be Strong in the Grace. Strong in the Grace. And then uh, the week after, next week, we're going to talk about the strength to uh, live, or strength to love, rather. Strength to live and love. Probably use both. Strength to love, and then the, the last week will be the strength to grow, or the grace to grow. Grace to love, grace to grow. Today is strong in the grace. And we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 2. So if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 2, and uh, I will pray, and uh, we will jump into it. God, thank you for this opportunity to get to open your word together as a, as a group of believers uh, gathered here in your name uh, to, to worship together. It was awesome just singing those songs together. Appreciate the singers and the musicians leading our hearts in um, and just praising you. I know that's what Revelation describes at the end of time is uh, an environment of praise, of glory, of, of joining all of creation and giving you the praise that you deserve. Father, I pray that uh, uh, as we open your word that you would speak to us, speak into every heart in this room here, uh, speak even to those who are um, watching us online, uh, who are sick or who are away from us. We keep in our prayers the Johnsons. I hope they're watching right now or I know they'll watch later. We love them, and we, they're such a 
important part of our ministry. We pray for Elaine's continued improvement in her health with uh, recovering from her spinal surgery. Uh, we pray that you'd be with Stephanie and as, as she's uh, battling cancer. Pray for complete healing in her life. And I uh, pray for the new chapter with uh, City of Hope to, be, uh, to bring hope, God. And I uh, pray for others who are recovering or are ill. Or I know there's a lot of illness going around. I pray for Jerry Spradlin, who's home with Peyton, who's sick. And uh, just, that, uh, just that your spirit would be with them, too, as we are uh, gathered here together as the South Bay South group. And uh, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 1, he starts out by, Timothy, my dear son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, you've heard me teach things and been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will also be able to pass them on to others. So Paul is reminding Timothy of his own convictions and trying to get uh, Timothy to be the kind of ministry he wants to be. So if you don't, don't know the background, Paul is an, at this point an older man. He has planted all these churches in the ancient Near East, uh, kind of throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, one of the churches that he had planted was in Ephesus. And Timothy is the young minister, the young evangelist for the church in Ephesus. And Paul and Timothy have a mentor-mentee relationship in, in, the, in the Bible. And so Paul is, is training Timothy. And this is his, he says, this is probably my last letter to you, he says in here in 2 Timothy. Because Paul is kind of reaching the end of his ministry. He can kind of sense that he's going to probably be departing soon from this earth. And, and Paul was uh, uh, beheaded by the Roman Empire. Um, for his faith, uh, and so he kind of somehow he, he knew this was coming. He was uh, in jail at this time, and he knew that you know this was probably on the horizon. So think about that. You know, somebody that you've been mentoring for many, many, many years. The importance of of this communication. The importance of what would you want them to remember? What would you want them to walk away with? What would you want them to to really focus on? And it's interesting that. Paul, the one thing he really focuses here is he says, I want you to be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's kind of surprising. You think about all that he could try to uh, have Timothy focus on. He says, I want you to be strong in the grace. That's where your strength is going to come from. If you look at, um, you know, the, the, the self-help section of your bookstore or on Amazon or whatever. There's so many books. There's so many videos. There's so much on YouTube. There's so much on Netflix about how to, you know, improve yourself, how to be strong, how to be, how to be effective, how to be successful. And so many of this, this literature, it all starts with your technique. You know, what do you need to do? What are habits? These habits to build, uh, this approach to take. It's all kind of goes right to the practical, but I appreciate that Paul starts with what's the engine you know, what is in your heart, what's in your inner core that's going to produce the results of being a good evangelist and having your church grow and doing all that you need to do. The, the core motivator is grace. And Paul really saw it that way, that grace is this internal engine. And, and we don't have time to look at all the scriptures, but you definitely see that for Paul in his own walk with God. That this grace is what kept him going. And he says at one point, this grace it was not without effect. Grace compels me. Grace motivates me. In Acts 20, 24 on the screen, uh, Paul said this. They, in Acts 20, it was kind of a turning point in his ministry. He wanted to return to Jerusalem. People are warning him, don't go to Jerusalem because you're going to probably be arrested. But he really felt called. He says, I'm called by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And they're like, uh, but, but you might be arrested. You might be thrown in, in prison. Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may testify 
that only finish the race and testify uh, to the gospel. He says the gospel of God's grace. Paul saw his life, the most important thing in his life, he was motivated by grace and telling others about the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is not getting what we deserve. Uh, grace is, is, is God saying, you don't deserve to be accepted by me. You don't deserve to be loved by me. You don't deserve to be blessed by me. But I'm going to do that anyway. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to look at you as pure. I'm going to look at you as blameless. And, and how does this happen? How is it possible to get grace? Through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. We sang about the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is, all of that sacrifice and stuff that you read about, that you're going to be reading about in the Old Testament, if you haven't already started, if you're going through the Live Scripture app with me, um, all of that is, is trying to help us understand that sin has consequences. And we all understand that inherently, right? We know that, you know, when you grow up and you start doing things you know are wrong, and, and you, know, you know something gets off in your life. Something gets off in how you feel about yourself, how you feel about others, how you feel about God. We, we all are guilty. Sometimes we continue to sin to the point where, you know, we kind of, the Bible talks about having a seared conscience or uh, having a hard heart where you just kind of keep doing these things you know are wrong to, to where you don't feel it anymore. But we all feel it at the beginning. You know, we all feel it when, when we're sexually impure. We all feel it when we're using filthy language. We all feel it when we're lying about someone else or we steal something or we, you know, we dishonor someone else. We, we talk bad about somebody behind their back or we're, we're, we're prideful and haughty and we look down on others. We, we feel those results in our life, right? And the Bible says it causes a separation between us and God. Sin separates us from God. So he can't be one with us. He can't be connected to us. He might want to be, but he can't because of sin. Years ago, uh, my dog Rocky, he has this thing that he does. If he finds something smelly, he likes to rub his whole body in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he got sprayed by a skunk the other day, and he was rubbing himself all over everything. This happened a few times. But a few years ago, we used to have cats that would do their business in our backyard. And so some cats done their business, and... Uh, Rocky went and rolled his whole body in cat poop. And, you know, he was just loving it, smearing it all over his face and his back and just... And then he wanted to come in the house. And, uh, you know, I, I could not be one with my dog, you know. There had to be a wall of separation between me and the dog. So he was right outside my French door, you know, barking and he just he wanted to be with me. And I wanted to be with him, but he had rolled himself in cat poop, and so we couldn't be together. And that's what sin does with our walk with God. God can't be one with us. He wants to be, but he can't, right? So there has to be something to, to deal with the sin. And so with Rocky, what I had to do is go, you know, I was busy. I was actually working on a computer uh, in this room, and, and so he's right outside the door, so I'm going to finish what I'm doing. And then I took Rocky and I baptized him. <laughs> and uh, his, he was washed clean. And then we could be together. And that's what happens, you know, the, the, in Acts 2.38. And this is, we have a whole study series for this. So if, if, if you're interested in how, how do I enter into grace? Because everybody here is either in grace or out of grace. None of us deserve grace, right? 
It's just a matter of whether we have accepted Christ and Christ has accepted us and we're one with, you know, that door has opened and we're now with him, right? And, that, and all that sin has been washed away. How do, how, what do we, what's the problem? What, how do we deal with sin? Acts 2.38 is probably the simplest like one scripture. It says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we repent of our sin. We stop rolling in, dog, in cat poop, right? We go, no, I've been going that way. I'm going to go this way now. It doesn't mean we never sin again, but we change our whole mindset. We repent of our sin. We're baptized, which is a participation in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because it's only because of his sacrifice that we can have grace. It's only because of what he has done for us. And, and, and the Bible says we're washed clean of all our sin. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing. It, it's, it, it is a ritual. It is a sacrament. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But, but, but it's, not, it's not the water itself. It's God's grace. So like the book of Galatians, when it talks about grace, it uses baptism as, as, as kind of that explanation of how grace works. It says you're clothed now with Christ. Everybody who's been baptized has been clothed in Christ. So when we're baptized, we come out of the water and now Jesus sees, or God sees a little Jesus. That's why the Christians were called Christians, little Jesuses, because God looks at us and he sees Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross, because of his resurrection we can, we can participate in that. And that's what happens when we're baptized. So if that's something you're interested in, talk to someone. Talk to me, talk to someone else. We'd love to study that with you. What is baptism? How does it work? What is repentance? How does it work? How, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? These are some fundamental things that is part of that gospel of God's grace. It's good news. It's nothing we could do. It's nothing we could prove. It's no way we could earn. You could never, if you stop sinning from here to the rest of your life, there would still be a problem with sin. So that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's that gospel that Paul was talking about, that we need to be strong in that grace. And what does that mean for our life? And he goes on and gives an analogy of, of three uh, kind of things that can help us understand this internal, internal motivator, this internal motor that grace becomes. Because now we go, uh, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for Jesus because of what he's done for me. Paul says, I died to sin and I no longer live. Paul says, I died and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, uh, Christ's love compels us because Jesus died and so now we died to our sin, but now we live for him. So the rest of our life belongs to Jesus. So if you today are sitting here and you have been, have received that grace, you have been baptized for Jesus uh, in, his, in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, you no longer live for yourself, right? Sometimes our self wants to get back on the throne. And so we need to be reminded, I don't live for myself anymore. Grace means I live for Jesus now. And that's what keeps me going. I, it, it, I, I have been forgiven. I am just as wiped clean as the day I got baptized. You know, I'm just as pure as the, as, as the newborn baby. That's how God sees me. Not because of me, because of Jesus. That's good news, right? It's a clean, you know, it's good news when you, when you first become a Christian, I can have a clean slate. It's good news when you're a 30-year-old Christian that I still have a clean slate. I think sometimes we don't think that. We don't feel that, you know? And we, we start to try to be Pharisees. We start to try to make our religion about what we do and about uh, just going to the right church or just believing the right things or doing the right things. That's what makes me right with God. No, it doesn't. What made you right with God when you were at your very worst, the Bible says Christ died for us. When we were at our very worst, think of at your very worst. What is that moment? You might have a, a, a story in your mind 
Something you did to someone or, or an act that you committed that you're so embarrassed about. Or something that you go, this is my very worst. That's who Jesus died for. And, and now God sees us as Jesus. So now, you know, the grace is what motivates us now to live for him, right? And there's three analogies he uses. Uh, he uses a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. So continue reading here in uh, verse 3. You can go to the next slide, Fidel. Or, yeah, there you go. Uh, Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please, then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Now he goes into athlete. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labors. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So this is interesting. So you're like, Brian, I thought we were talking about grace, but here Paul is talking about a lot of hard work. Yes. Right? If you really understand grace, it makes you work hard. It makes you want to serve God. If, you, if you're not serving God, if you're not motivated, then you probably don't have a good understanding of grace. Or you're probably not in grace, or you haven't gotten in touch with that. Do you see what I mean? Paul isn't saying, do all these things so God will love you. Paul isn't saying, be, you know, do this so that God will accept you. No, it's, it's be strong in the grace, and then he says, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer. Think about these examples he uses. Uh, you know, a soldier. What, what do you think about a soldier? I mean, a soldier, it's, it's discipline, right? So much about a soldier is discipline. You know, when an officer walks into the room and they're, they're in their uh, uniform, Everybody sort of gets a little sharper, right? Well, thank you for your service, officer. Right? It's, it's, there's discipline. There's sacrifice. They're willing to die for their country. Uh, you know, you, you, and, and they do it because they love it. There is no draft in our country. They do it because they feel a, a call to honor. They want to serve for their country. They, they feel an obligation to the Constitution of America and this amazing place that we, and the freedoms that we enjoy, right? There's an honor. There's a dignity. You know, Paul Rodriguez was a soldier, you know, served in Desert Storm, you know, right? Paul, there's honor, there's dignity, there's, uh, uh, there's something different about a soldier. Uh, you know, we ought to be proud to be soldiers for Christ. I'm an officer in the Lord's army. That's how we should feel. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You guys remember that? That's how we should live our lives, because of grace, because we've been given so much, just like freedom, uh, in this country, motivates the soldier to serve his country. Grace motivates us to serve our Lord as soldiers. Athletes, think about an athlete. You know, a really intense athlete. There's something in their eyes. You know, right? Their eyes will scare you. You know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you hard. You know, uh, you think about looking across the, the line of scrimmage at that other athlete. Uh, we talked about Kobe Bryant with our, uh, with our teen ministry on, on, on Friday night and how Kobe had something about him, an intensity that called everybody higher. That, that, that played with him, that served with him. There's an intensity. And, and, you know, you look at the, there's been a lot in the news about Kobe and, and his work ethic, right? He said, everybody else would be having dinner, I would go back to the gym. Everybody else would go do this, I would go, I got to get more, I got to get more, I got to get more. There was no coach telling him, right? He just, he was driven internally. And, and that's what grace will do. If you really understand grace, you really are in touch with God's grace. It's an internal motivator. It's not somebody telling you, hey, you ought to go share your faith. Hey, you ought to read your Bible. Hey, you ought to forgive that person. It's God at work in you. 
It's God's spirit at work in you to produce good fruit, to produce love for others, to produce these good things. There's nobody telling you you ought to. It's, it's your own internal motivator. You see the difference? You know, if you think of an athlete and, and their, their schedule or what they eat, right? Okay, you got to be there at five in the morning. You're going to do three hours. Then you're going to do this. Then you can only eat this. Then you got to be there after uh, school. You think of some, I, I was on the swim team. So we had to be there at five. You go there and then, then you go to school. And then you're after school till like six at night. You know, and I wasn't a very good athlete. You know, it's like mediocre. But you think of the intense athletes in their schedule, right? Now you take you or me and you put us into that. Okay, you have to get up at five, you can only eat this, then you got to go there, and then you got to do this for four hours, then you can only eat this, and what would we do? We'd be like, what are you doing? You're torturing me, leave me alone. Why? Because there's not that internal drive to want to accomplish something. So that's what happens in the church if if you don't have that internal motivator, if you don't have grace, and then you're in a kind of, somebody's telling you you ought to give up this, or you ought to do this, or you need to do this, or sacrifice that, you know, it doesn't work, right? Because there has to be that internal motivator pressure, that internal motivator, that internal motivation. Amen? That's what keeps us going for long term. This is a, a, a long distance race we're in, the Christian life. There's disciples here that have been around 30 years or more, right? It's a long race. And, and what keeps you motivated? It's motivated. It's grace. The last thing he talks about is a farmer. Think about a farmer. We don't know many farmers. Who knows a farmer or was a farmer? Anybody? Okay, only like three people. I know Mark does. Uh, he comes from the land of farmer, farmers. Uh, yeah, we, it, it's not as much a part of our society as it was in the time of Paul. All three of these were, you know, they saw soldiers all the time. They saw athletes all the time. They saw farmers all the time. Uh, farmers, it's a dirty job. You know, farmers' trucks are not clean. Their shoes are covered in mud, right? It's, it's a dirty job. It's a hardworking job. Again, it's up early. It's internally motivating. It's, it's, they're responsible. They're driven. There's mud and manure on their shoes. Why? Because they, they're, they're, they're producing something for their family, for their, for their country, you know, for their community. They're, they're producing a crop. They're motivated to, 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 to see results. But it's, it's because it's something inside. right? It's, it's something from inside. That's what grace should do. And so that's why when Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Devote yourself to these things. Give yourself wholly to them. You'll save both yourself and your hearers if you, if you watch your life and doctrine closely. All of that is driven by being strong in the grace. And so if you feel like, I'm not motivated as a Christian. I'm not, I don't feel like doing anything. I don't, I'm not looking forward to anything. I mean, I, I have definitely gone through seasons like that. I was praying this morning going, what am I looking, God, the Spirit just put that on my heart. What are you looking forward to, Brian? You know, when you're a kid, you're always looking forward to stuff. Oh, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for this. The age I am now, it's kind of like, even if it's something wonderful, it's like, oh yeah, but there's going to be a line. <laughs> you know? It's going to be hard to find parking. It's going to be complicated. I'm not sure how we're going to pay for it. You know, like there's this, I'm just like such a sourpuss, you know? It's like, come on, be excited about life, Brian. I felt like the Spirit was telling me that. How am I going to get there? It's through grace. It's through understanding what I've been given. That's where joy comes from. That's where peace comes from and patience and all the fruits of the Spirit. It's from that internal grace that we understand, a heart shaped by grace. So I want to talk about two things that Paul said about himself and his own identity uh, before we uh, take communion. Two things that if you're a disciple of Jesus, these are things you should be able to say. 
If you're not yet a disciple of Christ, if you haven't repented and been baptized, I want to appeal to you. This, this is what God wants for you, right? But don't feel left out as we talk about these two things. This is what God wants for you to be able to say. This, see if this doesn't appeal to you. That this is what I should be able to say. This is what Paul said about himself. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 9. You can go ahead and turn there if you would because I want to read a little bit more than is on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15. Give me an amen when you're there. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You can tell right there, right? Because people thought, well, he's not a real apostle. I mean, he's not like one of the ones Jesus trained. You know, I know Jesus appeared to him, but he's not really, he's, he's different, you know. You know, people talk, right? About their, especially about their leaders. So, you know, he, had this, he had, was always defending himself. No, I am a real apostle. I mean, surely, even these churches he planted, like he's telling the Corinthians, surely I'm an apostle to you. I mean, I'm the one that shared my faith. You, you wouldn't even be there if not for me. He says, you're a letter of recommendation that I am an apostle is the fact that I started this church, right? <laughs> that's kind of where he was coming from. So where he says, I worked harder than them. I don't know if that's statistically accurate or not, but that's how he felt like, I, I worked my butt off. Why? What, what motivated him in this verse? Grace, that grace that I was given. I was a persecutor of Jesus. I was having Christians killed. And now I'm serving the Lord. That, and that motivates me. I remember who I was. I remember what God did. That keeps me going. But I like this part. I want to focus on this idea that he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You should be able to say, I am what I am. By God's grace, I am what I am. Here's who I am. Here's the real me. And, and whether you have a testimony like Paul that was dramatic, or some of us that grew up in the church, I remember growing up in the church, and, and the teens can relate to this, you know, I, I didn't have this crazy conversion. You know, I wasn't like, yeah, I was shooting heroin and I was, you know, killing people in a gang and I was, you know, and then I found Jesus. And then I, you know, I was like, I grew up in the church. I never kissed a girl. I didn't use drugs, you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I know I was totally in sin. Selfish ambition, jealousy, fits of rage, sexual impurity. I had a lot of sin, but it's not this outward, you know what I mean? Like dramatic thing. So I remember feeling as a teenager, as a college student, you'd hear other people's testimonies. And my testimony is kind of not that good. I mean, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but, but I've learned over time to be really appreciative of my testimony. I'm so grateful I grew up in the church. I'm so grateful my wife's the only woman I've ever been with. You know, I'm so thankful for that. It's, it's just awesome and it gets better and better, you know, the longer we're together. And that's all I'll say about that because I don't want to make the teens uncomfortable. <laughs> But God's plan is really awesome for intimacy. And it, it's way better than what the world says. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm so grateful for my testimony. But, but whatever your, your, your story is, is, is can, grace can allow you to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God knew what he was doing, and he picked me, and here I am, and this is me. Right? There's a freedom in that. I don't have to be someone I'm not. I don't have to pose. 
I don't have to pretend to be religious. You know how people kind of are religious posers sometimes? I, you might not get this. I get this all the time because I'm a minister. So, you know, you start talking to somebody and they're using foul language or whatever. And they say, oh, yeah, I'm a minister. Oh, bless the Lord. You know? <laughs> this is the day the Lord hath made, you know. Like they just kind of switch into the religious mode. Uh, you know, I, we don't have to do that. We, we, this is me. This is, you follow me around with a camera. I don't care. This is my life. This is who I am. I am what I am. Even, even the messed up stuff, even the sin, there's a freedom in just going, this is me. I messed up. Why? Because grace covers you. It gives you freedom to face the real you. You don't have to pretend. You know, we're, we're doing more in our small groups, and our theme this year is doing life together. Like, as a small group, we want to do life together. In that small group, those people should know the real you. I appreciate in our small group, sometimes somebody will just go, you know what, here's where I'm at, you know. Or, or I have friends that will just, here's what I'm really going through. You know, you, hopefully you have relationships like that. And what does that do? You, you want to be open. You want to be honest. You want to be real. I am what I am. Here is me. Um, I, I work, I don't know where you guys exercise, but I go to the YMCA in Torrance. And uh, something I've experienced, I've noticed at the YMCA, is it's not the young, fit guys that are comfortable with their own body. It's the old dudes, right? (laughs) It's those old Asian guys, you know, that they're just in there for hours, walking around with nothing on, just, I am what I am. And, and there's something about that, you know, the, the, the teenagers, or the, you don't even see them in the locker room, you know, I don't know where they, I don't know what they do, but, but the old guys, you know, because you reach a point, you're like, you know what, I don't even care, right? Is that true, Wheaton? You're a little older than me. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting there, you know? I'm more like, I go in the, in the, in the locker room, it's like, I am what I am, okay. But, but, but spiritually, I think, we got to have that confidence to just be, here is what I'm really going through spiritually. That's the only way that we'll be in the right place. If we try to hide behind religious stuff or not being real, God, we're not, it's not going to work. Christianity is not supposed to work like that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. For the young people, I I went to a a thing right in this space that they showed on the on the screen here, a, a, a video a lot of you guys watch. Who, who goes to the south here? Who are you guys? Okay, so all you guys saw this, right, this week, the thing about social media. And uh, it was called Like, is that what it's called? So some of the parents we went to, they had a showing for the parents on Tuesday night. But it was all about the pressures these kids are under with social, social media. And, uh, you know, to try to present just this, this image to the world of who they are. And, and so these girls were talking about how just for one selfie, it takes about 30 pictures. Because you've got to just take all these pictures and then you pick the right one. So I was like, that's what I've been doing wrong, right? Because I, I, I have Instagram and I'm trying to, and I, I'm, I'm noticing on Instagram, a lot of people, it's all selfies, right? So I started to be like, okay, I guess I should do selfies then. So I'm like taking the selfie. We're in New York downtown uh, Times Square, so I took a selfie of myself, you know, and it's my face, and then downtown behind me, and all my kids were like, Dad, that is so cringeworthy, you know. (laughs) If you want to see it, go on my Instagram, you'll see it. It's just my face with the, but I must not be doing selfies right, but, because I don't care, right, Wheaton? I don't care. At this point, I don't care. It's like, whatever, this is me. Uh, but, 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 uh, But these kids are under so much pressure, the young people are under so much pressure to be someone. Oh, it's so freeing to be able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
I don't have to try to fake it. Uh, and I, you know, if, you, if that's not you, then, then you probably aren't surrendered to God. Because if you really surrender to God and you really understand his grace, then you don't have to prove anything anymore. Amen? Amen. The second thing Paul said about himself is in 2 Corinthians 12. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul was able to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, in verse uh, 7, he's talking about surpassingly great revelations that he had. Paul was able to see these different visions and be able to receive messages from the, through the Holy Spirit from God and uh, was inspired. He was, a, he was an apostle uh, with the authority of an apostle. He was able to work miracles. He had a lot of amazing things happen in his life. And so he says, because of that, because of all these blessings, spiritual blessings and opportunities, because of these surprisingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So this is an interesting perspective Paul has about a hardship in his life. He says, why was it there? Was it God's will for it to be there, first of all? Yes or no? He says yes, right? It, it was given me, this, this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what it is. He's not specific. So it probably wasn't a literal thorn that he couldn't get out. Like it wasn't like a splinter he couldn't remove. He means like something that hurt that I couldn't get rid of, that I didn't like, that I don't want there. A thorn in the flesh. Why was it given to him? To keep, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. I've had so many incredible things happen, and I know I tend towards being prideful and looking down on everybody. Remember, he said, I'm, I worked harder than all those other apostles. You know, he had, he lended, he kind of, he tended towards a little bit of pride. So he goes, God gave me this as a blessing, something that I hate, right? That's his perspective. Three times in verse eight, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Boy, that's probably not the answer he wanted, right? You ever get an answer from God that's no? And then you question God, like, well, I thought, we, I thought God was good. I thought God was great. I thought God could do anything. I mean, why is this answer no? Sometimes the answer is no. We don't know why. Here Paul had a guess as to why, but he didn't really know for sure. He just knew God's answer was no. And, and I know everybody here has something in your life that you wish was different. I mean, I won't ask you to raise your hand and, and share what that is. But you all have something. And you go, oh. And, and there's probably something that you've even pleaded with God to take away. God, why does it have to be this way? You know who else pleaded with God for something to be different? Jesus. God, if there's any other way, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I feel like I'm going to die. I'm so stressed out. Please, Lord. Three times. Again, three times uh, Jesus pleaded, didn't he? There's something about that three times. And yet God's answer was, this is the way it has to work. And, and God's answer to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, there's something about it that, that when we are weak, it brings God more glory. And we don't like that part of Christianity. We just want to be strong. We want everything to go our way. We just want everything to be blessed. And, but this is sometimes how it works, right? My grace is sufficient for you. You have everything you need right now. That's what that means, right? Sufficient. Paul, I've given you everything you need. My grace is enough. 
So then Paul, what's his response to that? Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, do you think Paul, uh, you know, something hard would come and he would just be like, woohoo! I don't think that's what he means by I delight in insults and weaknesses. I think he, he's talking about a mental decision, a setting his mind of going, you know what, this is a good thing. I'm going to view this as positive. I'm not going to allow myself to go down that negative thought train that we all want to go on sometimes. I'm going to think positively. This is for my own good. God has said no. This is to get me to heaven. God's perspective is bigger than mine. All that matters is eternity anyway. We're only here a few years. It's a blip. So if something, if it means that I get paralyzed from the neck down so that I'll make it to heaven, is that worth it? Absolutely, right? Eternity with God. To keep me from becoming prideful, I have to get in an accident and be paralyzed from the neck down. That would be worth it. Now, I sure hope that doesn't happen. But God is bigger than me. So if it does, that's why. It was like, okay, that, that's what it took for my prideful heart to get to heaven. That's the perspective Paul has. I delight in difficulties. Uh, you know, there's something about someone who is weak being used by God that just gives God glory. It just makes us go, man, Christianity is awesome. God doesn't need us to be stronger or more eloquent or better looking. He, he needs us to be weak. He needs us to be real. He needs us to be, it's not, the impact isn't a strong person having an impact, it's the weak person having impact. And there's so many times where, when I am just like going into an appointment uh, or, or coming into a service sometimes or things are not going well technically wise or whatever, or I just go, I am so weak right now, but we'll just see what God does. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to try to trust God. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. I think about this a lot. When I'm weak, then I am strong. That's something you should be able to say about yourself. When I'm weak, then I'm strong because of the walk I have with God. If you don't have that kind of walk with God, then that tells you something about, are you strong in the grace? Do you have that connection to grace that you need to have in order to be able to say that? Uh, you know, this works in relationships. Let me tell you how I'm weak. You know, that, that bonds you to someone, doesn't it? If you sit down with someone and go, I'm going to tell you all the things that I'm doing really well. I don't even want to hear that person talk. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe you do. I'm like, I got enough positive examples in my life. Thank you very much, you know. But if somebody says, I want to tell you how I messed up. Oh, yeah, tell me, you know. <laughs> at, at, you know, when I'm speaking as, as a speaker, it's like nothing draws people in like, let me tell you how I sinned this week. Uh, you know, I, there, I was... I've been commuting to, to, to Malibu for a while, and I, I confess that I used the word A-S-S-H-O-L-E towards someone on the freeway. You know, I called them, a, I, no, they didn't roll down the window and yell it, but it's like, you know, I was just like so tense in traffic trying to get to and from, this was a couple years ago, and uh, I realized I was just sinning on the freeway, you know, and so I confessed that to, to the group. You know, I can't believe I called somebody an a-hole, you know. And, and, and it is a good word. There's no word that you can, there's no word that works like that word. You know what I mean? I wish we could use that word. But I can't in good conscience. Uh, there's nothing else. You can't be like, you duty head. So, so yeah, I sinned, you know. I sinned and, and, and I shared that. And I tell you, I got way more feedback about that 
than any spiritual insight I've ever had into the, 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 the scriptures. It's just, man, I appreciate that you were real. I could relate to you. Right? So that's the, what our relationship should be like with each other. Let me tell you the worst of me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Amen? Uh, before we take communion, I want to talk about um, grace and, and, and the sacraments. This is something, something we don't talk about in our church. We come from uh, the Church of Christ tradition, which is trying to return to the scriptures. And so over time, the church got very ritualistic. You know, if you look at church history and into all these different sacraments and stuff. But there are two sacraments that are clearly in scripture. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is something physical. It's something in our world that connects us to something that's spiritual. Something physical that we take part in, that we participate in, that helps us to connect with the spiritual reality. I mean, singing is not a sacrament, but singing is something physical we do that when we're singing songs about God, it helps connect us with spiritual realities, right? So we talked about baptism a little bit. Baptism is a physical sacrament. We, when, when we go down into the water, we're dying to our old life, and we raise a new person, a new life, new creation. This is what it says in Romans 6. We are buried with him in baptism and raised with him through our faith in the power of God. It's God's grace working with our faith in this sacrament, this holy sacrament of baptism. Another sacrament is communion. Communion. And uh, the bread and the wine are a physical, something physical that we do. We drink and we eat and, and it's participation in something that is a spiritual reality. Does that make sense? So, so it's, it's the physical world and the spiritual world coming together. And I don't know if we appreciate that. that, that when we, so, so just like the Bible uses grace uh, and, and baptism interchangeably sometimes, like in the book of Galatians, the early church used communion or the Eucharist that's in the early church writers. And Eucharist means thanksgiving. So this is called thanksgiving. Just like we have thanksgiving, this is called thanksgiving. So when we take communion... It's, it's an act of giving thanks to God for what he's done. It's remembering his body and blood, but it's, it's, this is our Thanksgiving meal. Going this, and it also reconnects us to that grace, doesn't it? So as I was thinking about that, remember I talked about how the Spirit told me, Brian, you need to look forward to things. You know, you're just always anxious about stuff. I was thinking about looking forward to taking communion together with you. Looking forward to just, self, just stopping, being quiet, and just thanking God for his body and blood, right? Just looking forward to that. That, that. There's some early church writers that described it as an antidote for sin. Now, I don't think it's like, you're sinful, you're sinful, you know, you, you build up sin, and by Friday you're really sinful, and then, you know, Saturday you're super sinful, and then you take communion on Sunday, and it's an antidote, and now you're saved again. You know, that's not what I mean. But it, it's just a, it's, again, it's a sacrament of going, this is, as you ingest this, you ingest Jesus' body, as you ingest Jesus' blood and you take it into your own body, it's an antidote for sin. You just picture the sin just kind of being wiped away. It's cleansed. Uh, Marshall, my son Marshall was telling me that Bill Gates is trying to do all these things to help the world, which is cool. And he, somebody came up with this, this chemical that you put in super dirty water and you put the chemical in and all the, all the filthy dirt and every, all the bad stuff just boop, goes to the bottom. And then you take the clean water off the top. And it's a way that they can provide clean water for people. Uh, you know, around the world, a lot of people don't have clean water. But that's how I think about communion, that it, all the sin is just washed away again. Cleansed, we're cleansed again of our sin as we take communion. And it's a serious thing. Paul said it in Corinthians, uh, some of you guys are sick or dying because you're not taking communion right. 
That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 10. That's pretty, or 1 Corinthians 11. That's pretty intense, right? So I get the idea. This is important, what we do. This is important coming together to take communion. So think about that and meditate on that. And I want you to be able to, if you're a Christian, um, think those two phrases to yourself. Number one, I am what I am. And number two, when I'm weak, then I'm strong as you take communion today. Meditate on those two things. I am what I am. And when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I pray that through that, you'll be strong in the grace. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you to be able to celebrate communion together today. Thank you for uh, the blessing of salvation through Jesus and his body and blood given for us. Bless this time of just personal meditation and, uh, and communal meditation as we together celebrate Thanksgiving together, uh, remembering Jesus' body given on the cross and his blood shed for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 